Welcome to Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. Welcome back to Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. Mary is back with us this week, which is fabulous. And we've got a couple of different things to talk about this week, so we'll have to get started right away. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the movie Christmas, A Christmas Carousel today. But first, before we end, that will be a discussion, believe you me. However, before we get into that, we want to talk about something else that we had the privilege to enjoy this holiday season. And that was a new original musical called a, Undertaking an, unauth- an unauthorized Hallmark Christmas musical. But it was, yes, yeah. exactly. It was booked as an unauthorized Christmas musical, and it was called Undertaking Christmas. So yeah, so this was a new musical by actor and performer, general performer and writer Joel B. New, and it was really creatively done. I enjoyed it a lot. How about you, Sarah? I thought it was great. It was just really... The writing was really clever. The concept was really fun. I wouldn't mind seeing like the full-blown version sometime. Right. Yeah. So I don't know what his plans are with this going forward. If he plans in like the post-COVID world to make this a show, or if you know you can still go see it online, um, you probably can. But if you Google it, "Undertaking Christmas" by Joel B. New, but it was a lot of fun. I think the reason I enjoyed it so much is because it's incredibly self-aware which is something that Hallmark Mm. movies, of course, never are. And he really kind of expertly used a lot of the Hallmark tropes in these really fun ways. So if I, shall I summarize the plot a bit? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So there's a man named Nick who is fired from his event planning job in New York because he fired Santa Claus. And again, right away, you see him using these Hallmark tropes just really deftly from the first song. The first song's called It Is All Going According to Plan. And so that's when Nick is, you know, in his event planning job and, you know, the high-powered career man. And then halfway through the song, he gets fired and then nothing's going according to plan. And so it's both using a lot of the sort of like Broadway conventions of using music like this to bring the action forward and changing the words partway through. But then also definitely playing on the Hallmark trope of like the high powered career woman who like half the time is actually an event planner who, you know, something happens and she has to go back to her hometown. Of course, in this case, it's a high powered career man because this is an LGBTQ Christmas story. So Nick is fired from his job and he has to go back to his hometown of Sadness, Indiana, and where he meets an undertaker by the name of Chris, spelled with a K, because I expect these are both Santa Claus jokes. And one of the highlights for me was soon after we meet Chris, Chris's daughter, Virginia, sings a song called, it's a letter to Santa Claus, and it's called, All I Want for Christmas is a Boyfriend for My Dad. And so that was very cute. It was great. It was a good one. And I should mention that almost all the characters, including Nick, Chris, Virginia, and a lot of others we'll see, are all played by by Joel. He um, changes his hat to play the different characters. So he did a really good job of that. So and then there's a bad guy and his name is Cole. And he is the mayor of a neighboring town called Depression, Indiana. And I don't know, he somehow has it in for Nick and Chris. And Nick and Chris fall in love and they sing a love song and it's called Buried Alive. My favorite, I wrote down my favorite line from that. Death was once presumed, you had me exhumed. (laughs) Yeah, the, the Undertaker side of it with, you know, I think who was 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 it Chris's family business or Nick went back to help his family business? I it was can't Chris's remember which. family business. Okay, cool. 
yeah. And it was suffering that, because no one owned too. this is an important plot point. His family business was suffering and a family business suffering and then being saved, of course, is another big Hallmark convention. His family business is suffering because after his husband died the previous year, and of course, a widower is another Hallmark convention, Virginia made a Christmas wish that no one else would die in Sadness, Indiana. And so because yeah. no one else has been dying, the undertaking business is suffering. But all luckily, very clever, all very Hallmark. All very it. clever, all very self-awarely Hallmark. Yeah. And of course, Nick has a plan for that. And so they start doing these new parties called Funerals for the Living. And, you know, it's Christmas magic and it makes the undertaking business take off because everybody now wants a funeral for the living and they're paying, you know, Undertaker Chris to plan it. And presumably he's working with Nick, event planner, and it's great. Anyways, Virginia's Christmas wish from last year actually expires that no one would die. And then a Christmas tree falls on Cole and he dies. That's not very Hallmark, but it was cute. I liked it. And then there's this weird equivocation at the end. If you, I don't know if that's the word for it where Nick is offered a job and a raise back in New York and turns it down. But Virginia overhears part of the call, but not all of it, misunderstands. And she tells Chris that Nick is leaving to go back to New York. And Chris gets mad and dumps Nick. And then Nick at the airport runs into Mrs. Claus, who's kind of like the narrator of this whole thing, um, oh. and finds out that Cole has somehow like engineered everything to keep them apart. And then he manages to go back and like reunite with Chris and everything is good. There's a song there called Death and Taxes and Christmas and You, which I thought was kind of clever as well. <laughs> it was great. It was one of my favorite ones. And then right before the finale, Mrs. Claus, who is a different actress, she's a, a voice who narrates between songs. And so she, you know, is doing like a night before Christmas thing. And like, you know, as she wrote away, like she was heard to shout or whatever. And then she says, Merry Christmas to all. Now you boys go make out. So that was, that was cute. <laughs> It, it was. It was really fun. I like, like I said, I would like to see it sort of developed a bit further. It was nice to kind of see it in this format. They also did the production value, especially for something that you kind of paid for as a stream, was actually pretty decent. So, you, like Mary said, Joel plays kind of most of the characters. He has a pianist who does a few singing bits with him, but it's primarily him. But then they also had these like illustrations sort of cut in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they were very cartoony, but like they definitely added something. So you sort of like, followed the story a bit better and I thought that was quite fun and it was just to be honest it was kind of a nice different thing to watch as opposed to a Hallmark movie at eight o'clock on Saturday night in December right. it was it was just it was really cute and so Joel actually reached out to us and said you know would you be would you want to watch my thing and I was like yeah we totally would this <laughs> is totally up our alley so we both really enjoyed it so thanks Joel for inviting us and we look forward to seeing more things in the future Hopefully in 2021, someone can see this show in like a real theater with people in it who like breathe on each other and don't get sick. And that would be wonderful. I know. I hope so, too.
So a Christmas carousel. Yeah, we're getting down to the last. This is actually the last weekend. This when we watch Christmas Carousel of the new movies. But they we will start, still have a few uh, more episodes after this, so stay tuned. We we are exactly. We're, we're not done yet. They start the twenty four hours commercial free at eight o'clock on Christmas Eve, which is technically today when we're recording this. So. Um, there's a few more we'll probably hit the record on that we maybe missed at least one for sure and try and get a few more episodes out. I had I, of the of our visiting guests, Mary, over the last few weeks, a lot of them said they would happily do more even in the non-Christmas season. So so, so we might have. We should look into special... that New Year's movie that they're actually having this year. Last year they canceled yeah. the New Year's movie at last minute, but yeah, I think that would be a fun one to at least watch and talk about and see who we could get involved in. For sure, definitely, we'll keep going. But yeah, let's see. So Christmas Carousel. I know it's Rachel Boston is the girl. So this season we've seen a few very very bad actors and then a few like surprisingly high quality actors and I would put her somewhere in between I think like she had a little bit of charm. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. So this this stars Rachel Boston and then the guy who is Prince Whitaker which we'll get into the story in a bit is Neil Bledsoe. He he was in Shameless and The Man in the High Castle and Agents of Shield and then this. So I don't know. I don't know what what happened there. But anyway. Yeah, good question. And and yes, you mentioned we'll get into him being Prince Whitaker. And I just want to say I I started watching this one with no idea it was going to be one of the royalty ones. I I think I only realized it in like the last few minutes. And in fact, the one we just reviewed had a time traveling Christmas carousel. And then they had a so this is not to be confused with Christmas Comes Twice, which she traveled back in time via a carousel. This is a totally different movie about a Christmas carousel in another country that needs repairs. So, so wait, two, two carousel two movies, movies almost back to back. Yeah. But are Christmas carousels like yes. a thing? I was never aware that Christmas carousels were like I keep wondering. I mean, obviously there's different things this year that are suddenly Christmas because people are outdoors more, I feel. Uh, but okay. without any relaying to, to COVID at all, you know, like, like, I don't really think about roasting marshmallows on an open campfire as a wintertime thing. And that seems to be in a lot of these movies this year. <laughs> but people are doing it because it's a way to be outside and see people. And, and, and even like a hot chocolate stand, which is a very traditional Hallmark mm, thing, yeah. you don't really do that. You might go get a hot chocolate from somewhere, but it's not outdoors. So I'm wondering if this Christmas carousel thing, and maybe maybe if you were in like a Bavarian town in Germany, they'd have them at the Christmas market. I don't know, but I don't recall Christmas carousels being a thing for sure. Well, and I mean, not there's also, America. of course, just a close association between Christmas and childhood. So it could just be sort of an outgrowth of that. But anyway, so shall I go yeah, ahead and jump exactly. into the summary here? Tell us what happened, Mary, for sure. All right. So to start out, we have Lila, Miss Thomas, as she is also known. So Lila Thomas, she is a part-time art teacher for kids, and she also helps with her dad's business, which is called Thomas Carousel Restoration. And that's one of those very hallmark things where, like, sure, that sounds like an extremely real business, a business dedicated entirely to carousel restoration. Yeah, because two people could make a career out of that forever. And this is a family company. Lila's great-grandfather was a carousel maker, and ever since then, her family has been in the carousel restoration business, which, again, totally real business. 
So Miss Thomas, or Lila, is considering applying for her dream job that's just opened up, a program director at this school that she does part-time or whatever. I don't really know. So program director is the name of the job. It's entirely unclear what that entails or even where she's teaching. Is it a school? Is it like a daycare? Is it a... I, I don't really know. But she's considering not applying because if she took that, she'd have to go full-time and then she couldn't help her dad with the business. In the meantime, the king of Ancadia requests the restoration of a royal carousel for his granddaughter Maya's Christmas presents. And so he hires Lila and her father, Roy, and flies them out to Ancadia to, you know, spend the weeks leading up to Christmas restoring this carousel that was built by Lila's great-grandfather. And so, of course, they are the best in the business. I think they might be the only ones in the business and the best ones to restore this carousel for Maya. Obviously, no one in Ancadia would be able to do such a thing, even though this is a carousel that's been in the, surely the royal Ancadian family for many, many, many years. So Ancadia is also the home of the Casanova Prince, as he is known. Gnome playboy Prince Whitaker, who is seen with a different woman on his arm at every event. And so, of course, the first thing that happens when Lila gets to Incadia is that she's standing by the carousel and she bumps into this guy who's just like painting in front of the carousel and doesn't know it's the prince. And is all like, oh, hey, have you met the prince? I heard that he's this real ladies man. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I've met the prince. And like, of course, he's the prince. And she doesn't know this. And this is, of course, like a classic trope. And then, of course, later she realizes it's him. And she's like, why didn't you tell me, et cetera, et cetera. They start to fall in love. He takes her to see horses to inspire her work on the carousel. And while they are watching the horses run around, he confesses to her that the tabloids have all got it wrong, that the women that he is pictured with are all just friends, which yes, extremely convincing. But I mean, also, he, he, like, he's not very. I would also add that he's, to, in my opinion, anyway, he wasn't. Casanova was a really, I don't know, not a good. I didn't think he was super hot. You wouldn't think he would be a Playboy prince. I don't know. That didn't come across very well to me. No, but on the other hand, it is necessary to point out that there are people who do have a thing for royalty. And like, let's be honest, our generation, like when we were preteens, everyone had a crush on Prince William. Prince William is not attractive. I he he was though. I think the more he started to look like his dad, the worse off he got. But I, mean, I did true. actually write write him a letter when I was, I think, in high school. Really? What did it say? Yeah, yeah. Me and my friend wrote it together and we were just like, You should come over to America or something and read us. Like there was something along those I lines. See, you wanted to be the princess of Wales. Yeah. Or yeah, Windsor yeah. or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Yeah. Well, now they're the Cambridges, I guess. But I, I there was, there we to, but I, we actually may have written. No, we probably wrote right before his mother died. Actually, I was a very big Die fan when I was a, oh. when I was a kid. So it was more about that. But you were like, "Whoa, that guy is cute." But then he had lost his hair, and he looked more like his dad. And weirdly, Harry looked like his dad when he was little, and then Harry got way hotter when he got older. No, I mean, I would still maintain, and I never had, like, the Prince William crush as a preteen. My, my teenage crush, for what it's worth, in case anyone's wondering, was on Ewan McGregor for his work in the Star Wars prequels. Oh, I yes, had yes, Obi-Wan yes. Kenobi thing. So I never had the Prince William crush, but I, I still maintain, you know, he was an okay-looking young man. But I would say, like, okay-looking in, like, an average or a slightly better-than-average kind of way, but not, like... I don't think he was ever a dreamboat. It was just that he was a prince. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They they both, like I said, I think they kind of swapped looks eventually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Harry was definitely an awkward looking kid and grew up to be far better looking. 
But yeah, he's anyways. super weird looking as a kid. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Continue. But we digress. So all of this to say, Whitaker is like a fine average looking man. He's not like a dreamboat, but I, I do believe he could still be a Casanova because he's a prince. But anyways, so he tells Lila, which she just believes, and I guess we're supposed to believe that he is just friends with all the women that he has photographed with in the tabloids. Meanwhile, this other thing is going on where the prince wants to open an art school. And to open this art school, he really wants this particular manor that is in the possession of one duke, who I don't think this duke is given a name. He's just the duke. And the duke is planning to donate the manor for sh- to charity. And so the prince is like, great, I can convince him to give it to my art school. But the duke isn't convinced. He might do something else with the manor because he's not into art. He doesn't. He's a military man. He doesn't think art is important. And so Lila and Whitaker together plan this event called the Art of Christmas that is supposed to win over the Duke to how wonderful art is and make him want to give his manner to the art school. And this is going to involve both a display of the visual arts and also performing arts. Meanwhile, Lila's father, Roy, is falling in love with the royal assistant, Heidi, who and of course Roy has been widow is a widower and Heidi was widowed five years ago and of course they're both sort of it's this sort of autumn romance thing that is often this is another Hallmark thing where the the parents also fall in love yeah we have to have two love stories we're not just happy with just one right so anyways so especially the been, two story two love stories in a very short amount of time I should add that's amazing right. that one couple can fall in love in this amount of time let alone two. And as usual, I sort of find the old people love story, like, just a little bit more compelling. Like, I don't know. They seem to have more in common. There's, I don't know. So, in the meantime, His Royal Highness the King has noticed that Prince Whitaker is spending all of this time with Lila, who's obviously falling in love with because they're planning the art of Christmas together. And the king is like, this is completely not okay because he can't marry Lila. He has to marry someone suitable. And he can't just keep doing art forever. He has to grow up and be a man and take the throne. And so he has a heart-to-heart with his son in which he begs him to stop doing art and to marry Margaret. Margaret is the daughter of the Duke and Whitaker's longtime BFF. In the meantime, Whitaker has a heart-to-heart with Heidi about this and Lila has one with Roy and they both give this sort of like generic kind of like older mentor advice about following your heart and like love is the most important thing and all that sort of thing. So then Whitaker invites Lila to have champagne with him over a balcony with an absolutely lovely view that is definitely fake. And he tells her that the reason the women in the tabloids are only friends is because he's always kept women at a distance. And the reason he's always kept women at a distance is because once he marries, he has to ascend the throne. And he is not ready to do that. And like, he's kind of nervous about taking on that responsibility. And it's not him. And like, he's an artist, and he just wants to like be and vibe and stuff like that. And then he tells her that his father wants him to invite Margaret to the royal ball and inviting the royal ball, I guess, the Christmas Eve ball is traditionally where a monarch announces an engagement. And so inviting Margaret would mean marrying Margaret, essentially, which sort of begs the question of like, who do you go to the royal ball with every year until now for like the first 40 years of his life? I don't know. And also another question I have about this. So he's kept women at a distance because he doesn't want to get married. And that's why all the women he he was seen with are just friends and he's not actually a Casanova. But, like, I don't think most Casanovas are considering marrying all the women they take to things. No, definitely not. And it would be implying something weird, in all honesty. Like, <laughs> obviously, right, like, if, he, if he took them all to these balls and then he didn't ask them to marry him, maybe that's how he became known as this Casanova. Because if you take him to that ball and you don't marry them, you're a bad guy or something. Maybe know. Ancadia is just a magical place that only exists in Hallmark where there's no such thing as just like casual well, sex. 
you know, taking someone to a ball and like, you know, having fun with them and then like not getting married. But anyways. Definitely Ancadia is is a hallmark place for sure. Yes, absolutely. So it makes sense that there's no there's no sex casual or otherwise in Ancadia. So no, no sex in Ancadia. That should be the title of our rewrite. So Wicker tries to confess his love to Lila and she sort of takes it the wrong way. So what he's trying to say to her is like, you know, my duty is pulling me in one direction where I'm supposed to marry Margaret, but what I actually want is to be with you. And she misinterprets this and she's just kind of like, oh yes, I feel the same way and we can be friends. And so he takes this as a rejection, obviously, like, because you would. And so he invites Margaret to the Christmas Eve gala. A very important thing happens before the Christmas gala, which is the Art of Christmas events. And in particular, the performing arts section. And this is where I absolutely lost my shit, as Sarah can attest to. (laughs) We've missed this little side story about his niece, Maya. Yeah. So the niece, Maya, is all set to sing a song for um, the Art of Christmas. And she's been practicing it for weeks. But Whitaker decides, and Lila agrees. I don't know if Whitaker comes up with this or Lila comes up with this. One of the two comes up with the idea that they should sing, they should have Maya sing the Duke's favorite Christmas carol in order to better win him over to the whole arts things. And so they call Margaret and they're like, what's your dad's favorite Christmas carol? Does he have one? And she's like, well, actually he does have one, but I don't know what it's called. And he doesn't either. And he's been looking for it for years and he doesn't know what it's called. Because when he used to go to this event, when you know, we were kids, like when I was a kid or whatever, they always sang this one certain song and I haven't heard it since. And he loved it so much, but he doesn't know what it was. And so they go and look up what was sung at this event. And guys, it's the fucking Coventry Carol. And I did not know this Carol, but Mary knew it very well. <laughs> I, I sang it in high school choir, as a matter of fact. Um, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Coventry Carol, it's definitely the most goth Christmas Carol. It's the least Hallmark Christmas carol possible. It is about the slaughter of the innocents. And it is, in fact, a traditional carol. It's sung in a minor key. It sounds sad. It's a sad carol. It's supposed to be sad. So the words go, the first verse is, Lule, thou little tiny child, bye-bye, Lule, Lule. Okay? And then that gets repeated. And, of course, this is saying goodbye to a dead baby. As becomes clear in the second verse, which is Herod the king in his raging charged he hath this day, his men of might in his own sight, all children young to slay. It's kind of unambiguously about dead children. All right. So I'm kind yes. of like, how are they going to how are they going to swing this? Maya's going to sing the Coventry Carol. Like, are we kidding here? So, of course, um, this is the least Hallmark Carol ever to be written. It's a beautiful song. Don't get me wrong. It's a lovely choice for your Christmas event. It's just not a Hallmark choice come the night of the event she starts singing and she sings the first verse and so we've got the you know bye bye lulee lulee and i'm like all right we've said goodbye to the, to the dead baby are we gonna are we gonna have the explicit like child murder part now and no they changed the fucking words they made it about like they made it winter wonderland they made it it was sarah did you happen to get the lyrics down Lay the little tiny child bye bye Come on to see this noble 
I do remember the first line. It was frost on the panes and candy canes. And I'm kind of like, I was just like aghast. It it does not sound like a song about frosty windows and candy canes. It it absolutely sounds like a song about dead children, Um, which is fine. It's a beautiful song. It's just not. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. (laughs) In terms of hallmarkiness, for sure. So anyway, so that happens. And of course, the Duke has won over and donates the manor. And of course, it's all because of Lila who encouraged Whitaker to do this thing. In the meantime, the king has inexplicably come around for no discernible reason and now thinks his son should follow his heart. Yeah, whatever. And Lila still doesn't understand that Whitaker, you know, loves her. And so she decides to take a job interview for this program director job. And so she's going to leave on Christmas Eve to go home for this interview, which to me begs the question, is this interview like on Christmas Day or something like but anyways, I know that was weird. You wouldn't have a job interview that close to Christmas, but whatever. Yeah, I think she knows that Whitaker is in love with her because she says she doesn't want to make it harder for him. But she doesn't understand that, you know, he doesn't really want to marry Princess Margaret or not Princess Margaret, Margaret. So anyway, so that happens. But she, of course, turns around and like has a last minute change of heart and walks into the ball and everything goes silent. And they confess to each other that they're in love with each other. And that's what happens. Oh, but that but was then- because... You, you can't forget that Lila decides that she's leaving or whatever, and she's in the car. But at some point, I wrote down, Margaret tells Lila that she, she was asked to the gala by, wait, this is before, I guess, she gets in the car. So she's like, oh, he really wanted to take her. She gets really sad. So she leaves and gets in the car with her dad, and they're in the car, and they don't have their bags, and they don't have coats on, and they're still in their fancy clothes from the gala to leave the, Which is very... The like you do. And in the meantime, the 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 prince is le- finds out she's left, and he, he he I didn't really know what was happening at this point in time because it was a really awkward moment. He went to the carousel, and he gets on the carousel, and he rides on the wishing horse around one time or whatever, and he and all you see of him is riding on the horse and saying one, and that's it. Yeah, this is definitely a thing. And then later, of course, he credits. Lila's return to the wishing horse. So, so yeah, that happened. I, I forgot to mention another very important event that you can take as a given in Hallmark is that at some point there's a conversation between Whitaker and Margaret where they both confess that they're not in love with each other and that they're oh, just yeah. best friends and they just want to be best friends and Margaret doesn't want to marry him and he doesn't want to marry her. And so everyone amic- can happily amicable, amicable discussion as per usual amongst no one's people feelings that are maybe we're going to love. No. Never, never. In fact, last week we decided we were going to have a, a show called Amicably Divorced that would be on <laughs> Lifetime about these kind of things. But yeah. Nice. Very nice. So then, and of course, as Mary said, eventually, I think Lila's dad convinces her, we must go back. We're both in love and we must go back. And then, yeah, when she turns up at the gala with uh, back in her dress and Whitaker says, I totally wished that you would come back, and you did. Yay! Pretty much end of movie. Everyone's happy and in love. How and did, did she... Oh, oh, yes, I forgot that most important part. Talk about that, man. Everyone's staying in Ancania. Um, yeah. So, 
she says, well, but I really want this program director job. It's my dream job. And he says, how about if you have the exact same job at my new art school? And she's like, great. That's not nepotistic at all. And of course, because of course the Duke loved the the music right. and the thing and he's going to give him the manner and everything's perfect. And these two fit people that knew nothing about each other, that both love art are now going to do art forever and he will be king. And that's and he all will be fine. King. And also Roy has been taken on as the official Royal carousel preserver person who now has a permanent, apparently full-time job in Ancania where he just like hangs out and like does carousel maintenance if needed. Yes, and then everyone is happy and the movie is done. So that, yes, that sort of wraps it up. That's a good bingo. Congratulations. Let's talk about, um, uh, this This was definitely not one of my favorite ones. Let's think about what the bingo moments were in this particular one. I, I made two notes for bingo and... I don't think it's really ever been on the card, but maybe, and it definitely, if it's not, it needs to be added because some of the ones of late take place overseas and they always go to a Christmas market. And this one was, of course, with Christmas market. So that I wrote down. And then I also wrote down one that has traditionally been on the Hallmark bingo card, royalty theme, which was a, yeah. a surprise royalty theme in this instance. What about you, Mary? What did you have as bingo? Um, I wrote down a bingo moment like right away as soon as this movie started the second I saw Thomas Carousel restoration because I think it's a definite hallmark bingo thing to have like a job that's not a real job. That's true. That's very true. And, and you know there's not I definitely don't know my local carousel repair shop. How about you? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there are people who, as part of their job, restore carousels. But my guess is that they are people who also, I don't know, restore art more generally or do like other stuff too. I'd just be really shocked to learn of a family carousel restoration business. So if you're listening to this and your family business is in fact a carousel restoration business, we would like to hear from you. Absolutely. So then, of course, we have our hashtag relatable. And I actually had two really good ones for this. Now, they're not oh. they're not exactly relating to my life, but I thought they were relating to real life at any rate. The Prince Whitaker, he actually cried when his father accepts him into like, being a art worker and with Lila and blah, blah, blah. No guys cry on Hallmark movies ever. Not even when someone dies. There's no crying for men, ever. The girls always cry because they lost the love of their life or some shit, but the men never cry. And I was like, whoa, that's a bit of a new thing, especially for like a family accepting, and he's with his dad and he cries. And then the other one that I got, and I totally messaged you about this, is he was the worst runner of all time. They have him run in a couple scenes to like chase after her, and his legs like flail around like a weird, almost like marionette it was very very bad running and he's got like his fancy like uh, you know sort of royal guard outfit on and he just looked like a total moron and i was like oh that's a bit real because you know he's trying to act like he's running but he he just looked like a muppet it was not good those are good ones those are some I, good I relatable so. moments yeah i mean real yeah, people really cry like... and real people look like idiots when they run sometimes and I, I really thought those were good ones this time what about you ray what'd you have 
I just had the fact that, like, I actually kind of relate to someone, like, Coventry Carol is not my favorite Christmas Carol, but I actually do quite like it. And so I kind of related to uh, the feeling of wanting a Christmas Carol that introduces what that introduces. Of course, what I believe it introduces is, like, a note of melancholy. And I think that sometimes there's a lot of, like, forced jolliness around the holidays. And it is nice that there are a few Christmas carols, such as Coventry Carol, or such as Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, or a few mm-hmm. others that we could think of, that that do, in fact, allow one to give some sort of vent to negative emotions as well. Because while, I, I will say this right now, my favorite Christmas carol is Here We Come a Wassailing, which is definitely, like, the exact opposite of that. I do think that it is necessary to balance one's Christmas listening diet, so to speak. Well, and particularly this year, I think the amount of Christmas cards I'm getting that are quoting, have yourself a merry little Christmas and like the, we will be together if the fates allow, like, you know, like that kind of knowing that 2020 is not going to be the year for everyone catching up. It's too Um, real. It is kind of nice to have a bit of like, you know, because this is it's going to be a shitty one, but we're going to be get through it, you know. So you're right. It is kind of a nice kind of reminder that it's not all Christmas miracles all the time. Of course, I'm not sure that works when you inexplicably change the words to frost on the pane and candy canes. But but like I said, it, it it's still regardless of what the words are. If you listen to it's a melancholy song. It's in a minor key. It, it sounds tragic. And, you know, sometimes we need a balance like that in our Christmas music. For sure. So for our rewrite of this one, the thing is, we've discussed this and we think that this story is too ridiculous to be salvaged by some sort of like fix to the ending. And so I think the only thing to be done is to just lead into the ridiculousness. Correct. We're we're relatively inspired by our friend Joel B. New here and, and with this concept. Right. So what if we keep the ridiculous plot mostly intact, but just be self-aware about it and make it a ridiculous and campy musical? We love it. It's perfect. So we've got some proposals for songs that will be sung in this musical. And the name of this musical is not A Christmas Carousel, because that's dumb. The name of this musical is now No Sex in Encadia. Yes. And that, of course, will be a very big opening number. And I was telling Mary that, to me, it definitely would sound like the song No Cats in America from 
uh, an American tale, the Five musical from the There is 80s. no sex in Katie. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely. And that's all about how it's just a very puritanical place that everyone right. is unhappy. And so the reason Whitaker is such a playboy is because he, he has various ladies on his arm. But of course, they're not doing it because there's no sex in Acadia. That's right. That's right. The next song can be when everybody starts to fall in love. And so should we have Heidi and Roy start to fall in love first? Or should we have Whitaker and Lila start to fall in love first? I think Heidi and Roy, because that was sort of very early implied in the actual film. And this one is one that I told Mary about, uh, a song from the very early 1950s. I'm a very big Burt Bacharach fan, and this song is actually not a good one that he wrote. It's called Wives Should Always Be Lovers Too, and it's really bad, like, you know, sort of madman times, and you just sit there and you wait for your husband to come home, and you have to wear a dress, and you have to look pretty. But their song is going to be called Widows Can Always Be Lovers Too, and, and, but it will be much happier. And, and Roy will say, oh, yes, and widowers will be happy with widows and everybody will be happy. And so they're falling in love over the fact that they are essentially older people who are available, which is the only reason they fall in love. Definitely a duet. Yes, definitely. So we struggled a bit coming up with a song for Whitaker and Lila's budding romance. And the reason for that is because art is like a kind of romantic profession. And so it's actually hard to think of something really ridiculous for art. But we did point out that Lila is also a teacher. And there is, in fact, a long tradition of like jokes and mildly inappropriate songs about teachers. And so we thought that we could use Van Halen's Hot for Teacher, except make it Cold for Teacher, because A, it's Christmas, and B, there's no sex in Acadia. That's right. And so, you know, the two reasons why it's going to be really cold for teacher, but she definitely has something to teach Whitaker, which we'll have to weirdly figure out how we imply that in a place like Encadia, where people are falling in love, but not horny at all. Yes. And this is, of course, a duet. Next, we're going to have Margaret sing a song. Margaret has two solos in in our new musical. I rather liked Margaret. Yeah, we did like her. So Margaret's going to have a song called My BFF the Prince about what good friends they are. But this is going to lead to misinterpretation. And so um, Sarah brought up in the sister act that bit that goes, I love him. I love him. I love him. So we thought it'd be like that, except then it would go, I love him like a brother, a brother, a brother, a brother. brother. But Lila, Lila only overhears the first bit and she runs off very sad. Right, because she's assuming they're both in love now and, you know, and they always have been. And she's, you know, it'll be that whole the whole sort of scene where she said he did ask me to go to the gala. This is that scene kind of in musical format. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be great. Next, we're going to have Whitaker back on his wishing horse. And we pictured that riding the wishing horse is the closest anyone in Katie gets to sex. So we figured that we would make this song suggestive and then extremely g-rated so it we decided it would be called i i will ride you all night long similar to the acdc track you shook me all night long which of course is far more suggestive in its in its lyrics but this one will be very play on words we probably would need joel b new to help us write it to make sure it was the right amount of not suggestion with suggestion to make sure it was perfect yeah so 
And that's where we learn about the wishing horse and blah, blah, blah. And maybe by this point, she's already left and he's got to get her back. And, you know, that's what this song's about. Right. Because the only wish. the only one anyone rides in Ancadia is the wishing horse. That's right. And not, nothing else gets ridden ever. In the meantime, we decided that at least one character has to be fed up with the no sex in Ancadia. And that character is going to be Margaret. And so Margaret's going to peace out of Ancadia and go somewhere where there's sex. That's um, right. Her, her track is going to be, I, I pictured her singing a track very similar to the I am 16 going on 17 sort of thing. And, and at the very end, she's going to go get laid and, you know, and it's all sort of like, get me out of here kind of song, but in a happy way. So instead of 16 going on 17, she's going to be I'm Ancadian going to Switzerland. That's um, right. Because I, I picture Ancadia bordering Switzerland based on like the winter scenes we see. I don't know. For sure. It's definitely in that sort of region, I would say. Some kind of mountainous area. So yeah, and even that could be a play on things, that she has to go to more mountains to get out of this town. And then we've got our grand finale, which will be sung by our two couples, Roy and Heidi and Lila and Whitaker. And we actually didn't even come up with an original song for this. We just thought it would be Baby It's Cold Outside, except completely G-rated and sexless. That's right. And, and again, implications that it's a boring place. It's a little bit play on words, but it's it's just, you know, maybe you need more sweaters and you need more hot chocolate as opposed to more alcohol and cigarettes and all that stuff. Right. <laughs> Instead of maybe just a half a drink more because it's Ancadia, maybe we're going to just like add a cardigan because. Exactly. You know, throw another log on the that's fire. Right here. You know, yeah. you, or you need to put on your entire snowsuit before we go outside, which we know is totally not sexy in the slightest. So, exactly. you know, that, and that's how we would wrap it up. And, and, and maybe their costumes at the end are ridiculously covered up as possible. But I mean, that could happy. be the ending of the finale would be everyone like over the course of that song, which is, of course, the sexiest Christmas song. They're putting on the least sexy snowsuits possible. So like. You know, I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. And then, like, you put on snow pants. Exactly. And, then, like... and boots and everything. And, you know, and all we can see is, like, their eyes or something under their right. goggles. And so they're going to be totally covered up. So essentially, that's how we think that this would this would wrap up. It would be... We, we still are disappointed that this year that, that Hallmark has never really done this musical genre before. I'm sort of hopeful that maybe next year they would do it because they might get more access to some of these musical actress, actors and actresses, but potentially not, because hopefully Broadway will be back happening again, but who knows? I mean, they could um, even do it very hallmarky with just, like, traditional Christmas songs that, there is, that there's no copyright on. That's uh, true. That's it was true. interesting because, one, we did very early on, Chateau Christmas, in the preview night, it was kind of billed as, like, it's like a musical, but with classical, and then it was definitely not like a musical, but with classical. No, they need to do a real one. And I mean, usually this is like probably the point of our show where we would talk about the upcoming movies. There's still, I mean, obviously we didn't do what some of the other podcasts on this sort of circuit of Hallmark did where we watched all of them. We do have some ones we're going to keep doing. We definitely want to, like Mary talked about, we're going to do Love Lights and Hanukkah. It was scheduled to be a bit later in the season and they moved it. So we kind of didn't really plan for that. So we're going to get that one happening, which, I mean, both of us saw the trailer. So we can't really guess what that one's about. But we are looking forward to that. The We we do need to think about this. Oh, a New Year's resolution. So obviously, also, I'm also Googling, a lot of pulling up something called a Royal New Year's Eve, but that might be from a previous year. I think that was from that was what they were supposed to have last year. 
Uh, ironically, that one of the the actress in this one. So this is on Saturday, January 9th. Her name is Amy Teagarden, which is the last name of a character in the Movies and Mysteries series that Candace Cameron is in. Oh, I bet that it might be it might be part of a series then. Well, this that's her real name. Oh, that's her real name. Okay, never yes. mind. <laughs> no, like I don't even understand. But yeah, so that that New Year's resolution. So the, there potentially is going to be a couple more episodes. But regardless of what we watch this year and and we do in the next couple weeks, there's one thing that we know for certain, and that is they, they will, will fall in love. Them. Merry Christmas to those of you who are still celebrating by the time this episode comes out. And I hope you'll join us for a few post-Christmas episodes as well. That's right. You know, we do carry on a little bit into the new year, probably. And I mean, there is one that they've been advertising like crazy. That's about a hockey player that looks a bit. Remember that movie from the 80s called, I can't remember, where she was like a figure skater and he was a hockey player. It's something like that. This is called Taking a Shot at Love. Oh, I have some guests in mind who would be very good for that. Yeah. If we decide to pursue it. Exactly. It's a hockey player and a ballerina, like, working together on something. So, I don't know. That seems very interesting, too. So, who knows? We'll see what happens when we do a few more episodes, maybe, into the new year. And it does give us something to do while we're staying in our houses and not doing much else. So, you, you we probably haven't heard The Last of Us yet on, in, in this season, too. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thank you for listening to Hallmark Up. Find us online at hallmarkedup.com, on Instagram at hallmarkedup, and on Facebook at hallmarkedup with Mary and Sarah. Remember to follow, listen, and review wherever you get your podcasts.